This is Writers Not Writing, the show where you can get to know your favorite writers and soon-to-be favorite writers by listening to them confess to the ways they procrastinate. Thanks for procrastinating with us. I'm Benjamin Gorman, and the quiet guy behind the glass there is Doug the producer. I write novels and collections of poetry and stuff. Doug tries his best to make me sound better. And each week we have a secret word to listen for. If you catch it, you earn the right to take an extra break at the time of your choosing from whatever is stressing you out. From Not A Pipe Publishing, welcome to Writers Not Writing. Today's secret word is werewolf. Welcome everyone. Today's guest is E.D. Jones. Ethan is a weird fiction writer inspired by all the mad geniuses who make worlds out of words. His short story, Resolution, was published in an anthology called On Loss, currently available on Amazon. One of the two stories in the Written with Pride collection, Ferryman, was first read on the podcast The Overcast. Ethan is currently putting the finishing touches on his first novel, The Werewolf Astronaut, which he describes as a sort of science fiction horror comedy inspired by the likes of Bram Stoker, Douglas Adams, and H.P. Lovecraft. That's a great mix. Uh, Ethan lives in Tulsa, Oklahoma with his husband and too many dogs. Is there such thing as too many dogs? I have three. I don't know. <laughs> I don't, yeah, that's that's a, that's a good number of dogs. Yeah. Uh, he keeps a, a sporadically updated author page on Facebook called Right Sinister, so named because he's left-handed. So as okay. folks who <laughs> watch the show know, we always dress up in costumes like this, and the folks who are watching on YouTube can see us right now, but the folks who are listening on the podcast don't know what we're wearing. So tell everybody about the costume that you chose to wear today. Uh, well, so I really can't talk about what I'm wearing without driving our audience insane, because I'm dressed as the Dark Lord Cthulhu, the old, the great old one. And uh, well, I'm sort of surprised you haven't gone mad looking at it. I mean, I, I'm on the verge. It is terrifying. Um, I, I myself am having trouble um, kind of dealing with wearing this costume. I have all of these mad visions of non-Euclidean cities under the ocean and tentacle gods and all sorts of other crazy stuff. So I, I'll try and keep it together for the show, but this costume is really messing with my mind. Yeah, I appreciate it. If we have any technical uh, difficulties, I'm going to attribute them to the non-Euclidean geometry of the, you know, the, the the costume itself. Like, yeah, I don't know how the computer is even managing that. Um, it, you know, it's it's doing its best, and I think probably the fact that you're looking at it digitally and not live is helping. Yes, it's protecting <laughs> us. Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, well, I, I went with uh, Marvin the Paranoid Android from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I'm going to a friend's uh, 42nd birthday party tomorrow. And, oh, excellent. So you're a hippie friend. Yeah, so I'm, I'm getting prepared. Uh, but the, the thing with the, the Marvin costume is it doesn't really matter so much the way you, you know, dress yourself. Marvin is not described particularly, you know, it, it's it's the way that you walk. You've got to kind of plod, like, oh, yeah. what's the point to any of this? And then it's the voice. You've got to have the Eeyore voice, but with a slight British accent where you just say, you know, over and over, of course, here I life. am. Brain Don't talk to me planet. <laughs> Yeah. And I'm left to watch the car while they go into the restaurant. You know, like that's, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, it's um, a really good uh, costume, very faithful to the TV adaptation, actually. Yes, yes. Which, you know, I, I have you ever heard his uh, audio version that Douglas Adams himself recorded? You know, I haven't, actually. It is brilliant because he is so dry and very yeah. quick and so he'll like run over these jokes that i think any other comedian out there would go pause for a laugh and he just goes through it like i just said this thing that is laugh out loud funny and so as you're listening to it you're going i can't keep up because i keep laughing and missing the next thing he's he's yeah very, very i mean he was he was brilliant uh yeah absolutely he really was he's he's my favorite uh author of all time um yeah. And I, I was absolutely devastated when he suddenly died. Uh, in college. Yeah. I miss, I miss all of the books he didn't get to write. Right, right. Yeah, he was in his mid fifties, I believe. Wasn't yeah, he, he was. Uh, he was young. I don't remember exactly how old he was, but yeah. But yeah, when you've lost. heard the story of how he came up with Hitchhikers, right? Yeah, he was lying in a field, and uh, I don't remember like the whole tale, but I know he was lying in a field looking at like the Hitchhiker's Guide to Europe, and he was like, "What if there's a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy?" And I, my, my, if I remember correctly, he was three sheets to the wind when he was lying yeah. in that field. <laughs> so I think that kind of hard living of, you know, drinking yourself to the point where you just, you know, fall down in a field frequently uh, probably didn't contribute to a long lifespan. But uh, sure, we sure got a lot out of it. Uh, yeah. Definitely. So, 
what is so this is a show about procrastination what we right. do when we're not writing so what has been pulling you away from your writing recently so in the past couple of weeks i've been uh working on trying to sell my house and so that's been a lot of cleaning and organizing and just uh the chaos of trying to turn a house into something that other people want to look at and buy yeah and so uh thankfully i have a husband who's very well organized i am not i have adhd and so he's very good at pointing me at things and saying this is what needs to be done and here are the exact steps that need to be done so he's, he's great about that and you know that's been very helpful yes but it's been all about um having to suddenly flee the house so somebody can look at it <laughs> that sounds very very familiar my fiance has adhd and you know i like i'm like okay let's make a list what are the things she's like don't tell me your list because I need to do this in my own order and your list is stressing me out. And yeah. so then she's, you know, my folks are coming in, my son's graduating from high school. And so we're trying to get the house presentable, you know, and my dad is very much like your husband. Like he, and you know, the, the, the world is orderly. His, you know, his living space is very clean. So I'm like, okay, we must present that when my parents are here. Yeah. <laughs> and that's gonna, that's gonna take some, uh, some work from us. So that's, we've, we've been doing a lot of cleaning, but the selling process is a whole thing in and of itself. How's that been going? Well, you know, we just put the house on the market a couple of days ago, so it's it's early days yet, but um, we're really hoping that we get, you know, a nice tidy sum out of this thing. We're, we're downsizing because our wow. kids' college has moved out, and so we're just sort of rattling around this big house, and we're just sort of downsizing, going to buy something a little more manageable. Yeah. But when I'm not trying to sell my house, the other thing that really helps to um, help me procrastinate is I play a lot of TTRPGs, um, a lot of Call of Cthulhu, a lot of um, some D&D. Mostly Call of Cthulhu these days. I play online using Discord, and um, I have a lot of a couple of servers based on podcasts that I listen to where people place uh, put up games to play online, and that's just a lot of fun. Yeah. Now, is it a pretty consistent group you're playing with, or is it different it folks? Varies, time? Yeah, it's just people put up like one shots, like, "Hey, at this time I'm going to be running this. Sign up for it," and so then you do, and you have a four hour session of a lot of fun. I do have a regular Call of Cthulhu game online every other Thursday, we're running this huge campaign called Masks of Nyarlathotep, and it is just an absolute blast. I should get in. I have never played that one. I, I, would, love that. I think that would be and really fun. Blue is, is a hoot. Yeah. Is it? Is it as, I mean, a lot of it, I'm sure has the do it anytime I've done any tabletop role-playing, it's the personalities of the people there. Okay. But is it, I mean, is it, I can imagine with the right group, it could be hilariously funny. Oh, it is. is. It very yeah. funny or is it very serious? It Well, like, like I said, it depends on the group and it depends on the uh, campaign. I've had campaigns that have been absolutely hysterically funny and I've had campaigns that have been crazy dark. Yeah. Um, you know, and have ended with everybody dying horribly and you sort of walk away going, oh boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where did that just go? But... You know. <laughs> But you know the one that uh, the one that gets even darker than that is Cult Divinity Lost. I've been playing a lot of that too, and it is specifically designed to be like if Zack Snyder was a Care Bear. This that you know that that's what <laughs> Cult Divinity Lost is. You know, it's darker than Zack Snyder. It's psychological horror, and the whole point of it is it messes. You create a character with psychological flaws, and you know maybe he's done something bad in his past, and the game messes with you, and it messes with that. You end up in these really deep, dark, super serious scenarios, but it's a brilliant fantasy world. Um, I've got the book and the world building in the cult universe is really cool. It's very different from the cosmic horror, the Cthulhu uh, mythos, but in its own way, it's, 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 it is co also cosmic horror, but in a yeah. different, completely different way. It's so cool. Is it like instead of deciding on your, you know, race and class D&D &D style, you're deciding on your trauma? Well, that's uh, part of it. Yeah, that's part of it in cult. And in Call of Cthulhu, you also don't have race and class. You have um, uh, occupations. And yeah. so occupations can give you um, benefits. I often pick author as, as an occupation. <laughs> yes. And you get certain benefits um, to, to doing that. And, um, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll pick something off the wall. But often with these one shots, you get a pre-gen and you're like, well, okay, I'll pick, I'll pick that guy and it's made yeah. for me. Yeah. I mean, I think author comes with its own trauma, too. Like oh, that should <laughs> <laughs> why did you choose author oh there's a backstory there's yeah. there's something there you know um so what about uh in the news what's been pulling you away from your writing in the news lately well uh, you know all of the horrible things that my governor the governor of oklahoma and the governor of florida and the governor of so many other states have been doing to my families like mine um and families with trans kids and and trans kids and the trans community and drag 
shows and all of this horrific puritanical fascism that has been, had has sprung up over the recent times. And I'm very, very afraid of it. And yeah. I'm very angry about it. And I don't know where to put that anger at this point. So that's very distracting. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. And it really is fascism. There are people out there saying, oh, you're, you're tossing this word around. And it's like, no, this is the ideology. It is Re not a the word trans with Jew and see how it looks. Right. Right. I mean, this is absolutely. And it's always go for the group that we can attack because yeah. we're going to move up the ladder. But, and I'm Jewish, so, uh, yep, you know, same. I, I, we've seen this before. <laughs> yes, exactly. Which makes us, I think, even more sensitive to people saying, don't worry about it. Nothing's going to come of this. Really? Yeah, yeah. We know. Yeah, we, <laughs> like, this goes to a very, very scary place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it, it's it's really scary. And, and I have dealt with a lot of folks, you know, over the last, whatever, five years going, oh, I'm sure it's not going to be that bad. Like, it, yeah, no, you it don't is. understand how bad this could get. And we are yeah. in, moving down a path. It is frightening. Ron DeSantis is a terrifying person. Um, now, luckily, he's also got no me, charisma at all. He has no charisma, and he has a he has a real temper. Yeah. And I think that's going to be a detriment. I mean, remember back, you know, it was twenty years ago when bah, ended a presidential right. campaign. But I don't know. Then since then, we've had Trump. So. I don't know what can end a presidential campaign. I, I used to believe like nobody would have a political future if they didn't look like a game show host. Like when right. I was a kid, they all looked like game show hosts, you yeah. know, and then Trump came along and I was like, oh, that's been blown up. Look doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. Uh, and then, Nothing you know, matters. but, uh, <laughs> you know, DeSantis has got the game show host look. He just, yeah, he's got the temper. He is just so stiff and wooden and, you know, nasal voice and bizarre. And so I'd like to think, oh, because he's so unappealing, I, he's not going to take it. off. But he is downright evil. Like sure, the, the no way hope. he chooses policies, yeah. it's scary. It's not that I have no hope. It's that I have no faith that we will be too smart for that. Yeah. Because 2016 happened. And yep. I have no faith that we will be smarter than anything after 2016. Yeah. Yeah, it, uh, it, it's it's genuinely frightening and, and people shouldn't feel like, oh, you know, one election means we'll never go back there again. Like we're, we're really, really close to the line. I listen to a Pod Save America and they're always reminding folks, you know, we're still 70,000 votes away. Like it could come back. And, yeah. uh, and, and as far as what's going on on the state and local level, it's really, really scary. Yeah, the, so. the school board stuff and the banning books. Yeah. But I've, I've read recently that there have been a few libraries that have and 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 public citizens or private citizens who have actually started suing about the the book bans and people have like well let's ban the bible because it also has you know sex and it, and there was one where the uh some folks successfully went under this law you can yeah. ban the bible and so maybe thing. there will be some you know some second guessing but one of the things that is striking to me about the, the that i've learned over the course of this last you know few years is you know, we tend to, we come from one particular framework where we say, if we can show you logically that what you are doing is, is inconsistent, you'll step back and you'll reflect and you'll realize this doesn't make sense. And that does not apply within the ideological framework of the current, you know, GOP, because yeah. their underlying principle is freedom is for me, not you. Yeah, that's and 100%. So yeah, you nailed it. It's um, my freedom to live my way and the rest of the world better get in line because right. anything outside of my experience is wrong. And so and if you point out hypocrisy within that framework, if you say you're right. being a hypocrite, uh-huh. Yeah, well, they don't That care. is the yeah. ideology. Yeah, and they just dig in and they dig in. Yeah. And it's like, I, and there's no, I don't know how to fight that. You know, you hear, yeah. and it, it's like, there's, there's a concept called um, uh, hypernormalization and, um, asymmetrical warfare that has been mm -hmm. used by Putin and it's it's used in American politics all the time where the, the politics get so dark and you don't know who's on whose side and it all sort of gets to the point where you say uh, uh, I don't know I give, <laughs> I, don't know. I give up that's that's Putin's and, Ben Putin's strategy the whole way is you know what aboutism and, yeah. and asymmetrical warfare so he can say people will just give up on believing the truth can be found Exactly. And truth and that, is the enemy of fascism. Like the fascism, is, first and foremost, wants to take away our ability to believe we can even have a conversation. And I would encourage our listeners to, um, to seek out Adam Curtis and watch his stuff because he, he is mm. he's brilliant on this stuff. I'll link because I have not watched Adam Curtis. Yeah. Adam Curtis, writing that down. Um, yeah, that's it. There's uh, there, there's a great book called On Fascism that was mm. really helpful to me in understanding 
fascism is not a governing ideology. It's not like if you elect us, then we will be fascists and we will do this thing. Yeah. Fascism is an, a means to power. Yeah. And so fascists don't have any interest in saying, now that we're in power, we're going to do the following for our constituents that is helpful to them. Right. You know, and, and so we think, oh, if this person is elected, they are making promises. They have an intention to fulfill these promises. Mm-hmm. Fascists are saying, as soon as I get in power, it is my first goal is to make your life worse. Yes. Because making your life worse is what made you elect me in the first place, yep. which makes so much more like once I learned that that was so helpful that, you know, there's a reason why Trump's inaugural speech was about American carnage American and not American. now you've elected me and here's what I'm going to do. You, you know, I, I'm here to save the day, which you could totally yeah. see from a narcissist like that. But he's he's beyond narcissist. It's fascism yeah. where you say, I am now just going to hurt you. Yeah, and, and it's and fascism is always they're the enemy, we're the good guys, we're special. Yeah. Our, you know, only we are special. Only I can save you, which is what yes. that and is. you have to say, see how things keep getting worse? Yeah. I'm gonna keep blaming and you're gonna keep trusting me because right. things but you never want to say, see, I've made your life better because then you're deactivating your base. Yeah. And so you just make everyone's life more miserable, but make the target's life the most miserable. 100%. Right? Yeah. It's 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 you know, and and I think if if folks understood, well, I I like to think if folks understood that they're voting against their own self interest, but then I realize I am importing my own framework where I'm saying, oh, you're voting for somebody who's going to make your life better. That is not the ideology. Freedom yeah. is for us, not for you. Yeah. I don't care about the fact that my life will get better, yours will get even worse. Yeah, right. Uh, and so it it is it it's scary to see where this is going to go. And and you're right. How do we fight back against that? Yeah. All of our yeah. Yeah. Rhetoric is, you know, hey, I'm going to point out the way this doesn't make sense. But that doesn't help. So, I mean, at this point, you know, being out in the street and protesting is the I I think the only way. Yeah. And um, we had a really good protest uh, for trans rights here in Oklahoma a month or so ago. And it was several hundred people came out and we waved signs and we we marched um, from down the downtown courthouse to the Equality Center. And I think we, you know, we got a lot of, uh, we got a lot of eyes. We got a lot of uh, horn honks. Um, it was something. Yeah. But I, I really think protest and, um, you know, being visible, being out organizing and, you know, being militant is the only way to do it. You know, I, calling your representative is, is a really nice uh, thing to think might help, but it's not the solution. The solution is to get out in the street and fight it. Well, and it's all of those like the, you know, so here in, in my relatively small community, we got a couple hundred people out for Black Lives Matter protests, and then we're able to sit down with the police and yeah. say, here are the things you need to change about your policies so that this doesn't happen here. And because of the protests, they hurt us. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's, you know, it's doing, you know, yes, call your legislator, but only they're only going to care if you were also out on the street right if there's a if there's so you know balancing those but and i like what indivisible is doing i think they're um they've got a really good uh sense of 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 kind of what to target and and how to how to target things when i was i used i used to live in portland and when i was there right after the election um i signed up with indivisible and started going to they went to merkley's office every kind of week and just you know here's what we're worried about this week and merkley would would write it down and we'd be you know visible and out there like here here we are we we want to fight this you know how how do we do that and you know just being just putting your body out there and saying i'm here i just i don't like this you know that's that's the key and and it will not ever move the folks who are the furthest right they are not going to go oh we saw your protest we have changed our minds right but you're moving the folks in the middle who are yeah, saying, oh, news, is, and news coverage is important. If you get yeah. the news, you know, that's but the problem is, of course, and I'm sure you know this from with with Portland is that the news can turn on you. Oh, the yeah. Say that you're the bad guy. You're the oh, right. Yeah, guy. it was. Wild. So I was going up to a lot of those protests and it was, was I would good. be filming myself saying you're seeing on the news that this whole city's on fire. Look, look behind me. Nothing's on fire. Like yeah. The city is not destroyed. It's this, you know, it's one street where mm-hmm. there are actual protests going on and the rest of the city is fine. But and there are a lot of folks who believed, oh, I saw these images and therefore, uh, you know, the city has been destroyed by looting or whatever. And most of the time, the instigators, the people causing the violence are the police. And I went to a protest in Portland uh, several years ago against ICE at the ICE detention facility in South in the South Waterfront. I did that one. We may have both been there. Yeah, so it was terrifying. You know, we were just peacefully protesting. People had volunteered to be arrested. They were they were 
you know, sitting on the driveway, getting arrested, and we were all peacefully kind of chanting near them. And then the cops, the ICE cops went from zero to 100 in five seconds, and they started shooting rubber bullets or something at the crowd, and everybody scattered, and it was just terrifying. You know, yeah. I was running, I was, I was like, am I get, about to get shot? I don't know what's going to happen. It was so fast, the way yeah. that things escalated the way the cops and we were just we we're not doing anything we we're just yeah. standing there chanting. Well, and i did experience in portland there's there there are groups within the protest movement who do not share the ideology of the group and and i think the 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 you know so some folks are going to hear that and go oh they're like you know uh, uh agents or something and it's you know it's this planned organized you know uh infiltrators what I, what I saw was people who just were there for fun and had no idea what was going on. And so, you know, there'd be these students from Portland State who were going, I don't really care about this. I just want to, you know, kick a fence and uh, and upset the, the federal agents. And they would, you know, instigate violence, not by attacking a federal agent, but by literally kicking a fence. Yeah. Then the feds come out, they overreact, and it turns into what for some of the people there was a game. And we were going, yeah. this is not a game. And so I, I stayed until the organizers started saying to white folks don't come to this this is you know lost its focus and then i was like we need to stop we need to listen to the black organizers who are telling us what to do uh, and not go to these but uh yeah it was it was really interesting to see the way it sprawled out of the control of the organizers and uh and you know people thought this is just a party like no this is uh this is this got a meaning tourism is not helpful yeah yeah, uh, but you want the numbers, so there's that yeah. tension, right? How do we get yeah. lots of people and also not, you know, have you want lots of people who actually care, you know? right? Lots of people who yeah. actually care and are willing to be constructive about it. Yeah, so yeah. it's yeah. It, it, it's very easy from the outside to say the protesters are doing it wrong, and it's like, how, how would you stand up to it? How would you organize hundreds of strangers? Like, it's really, really difficult. And you nailed it uh, with the Black Lives Matter protest. We need to let the Black community lead and we need to yeah. move in sync with that, uh, with that community and, and, and let them lead the protest. You know, we, we, we need to recognize our white, our white privilege in, in all yeah. cases, but especially when we're trying to, trying to help with a, with a protest like that. Yeah, the ones we do here in town are not Black-led, and so we make it very clear, this is not a Black Lives Matter protest, because mm -hmm. to be a Black Lives Matter protest is to be Black-led. Yeah. And so here in our predominantly white community, we don't have that leadership. This is a solidarity action. Like, yeah. we, you know, we're not going to claim something that we don't have, but we're still out there just about every week. And that's, that's that maintaining the pressure, right? Yeah. You know. Uh, but it is certainly broadened to, you know, we're standing up to Asian hate and LGBTQIA plus hate because it's those are, you know, communities that are absolutely under attack. So, you know, my, my sign is all about, you know, protect black trans women, oh. <laughs> like, you know, right now, who's most under threat? I still have one of those um, uh, nasty women get done uh yeah. signs that in our house we believe. And I've got that out my front window. Well, I don't now because I'm trying to sell my house. But right, right. It, <laughs> um, I had that and a, and, a, and a progress pride flag outside my house here in Tulsa, you know, the whole time I was living here, um, just took that all, all that down to sell the house. But, um, you know, wherever I move, no matter what community it is, I'm going to put my pride flag out. I don't yeah. want to hear anyone to question it. We have a, a neighbor who complained about us leaving our Halloween decorations up too, too long. <laughs> and we love our Halloween decorations. Yeah. And so my fiance was like, oh, you just made a terrible mistake. And so now we have this six foot tall skeleton who hangs yeah. in front and we've just decided he stays up year round now and we dress him up for every season. And so now he's got like the full rainbow, everything. And he's standing in front of this giant pride flag and, you know, like, you know, every season. The Easter one was uh, maybe a little bit blasphemous. You know, we had to kind of weigh how far were we going to make the uh, neighbors angry for Easter. But we felt like the bunny ears modeled, you know, modulated that a little bit. But uh, yeah, Cecil the celebratory skeleton. I like it. That's really funny. <laughs> uh, next segment is about what you're doing when you're not writing. You've already talked about the uh, the Call of Cthulhu, but... Mm -hmm as a way to kind of for, for readers to get to know you, because the point of the show is, you know, not process it's get to know these great authors. Uh, I think one great way to get to know somebody is to find out if you were a D and D character, not yeah. who would you play, but who would you be? Right. So what would be your race and class? If you were a dragonborn D &D monk, I'd be a dragonborn monk dragonborn because just dragons are cool. Dragonborns right. are just cool. I like them. 
And Monk, because, and I don't mean to sound like a humble brag here, but I've done some martial arts. No, I couldn't beat you in a fight. No, I couldn't. Beat oh, yes, you could. I promise you could. <laughs> but um, there is a listener who's going, not me. Uh, me, but, yes, absolutely. You know, um, I, I did some Wing Chun. I did some Aikido. I did some Kung Fu, um, uh, some, some other kinds of Kung Fu. And I had a lot of fun with it. it. Being an ADD person, I can't just go to the gym because I will never do that. So when I exercise, I need a class. I need a class at a time to, to learn a thing. And that gets me out. So right now I'm doing um, cardio boxing because it's the only thing I could really find in Tulsa that's like that. Um, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. I, blast with cardio. I like punching a bag. It's great. <laughs> it's wonderfully cathartic. But that's why I would be, I would be a monk uh, because I like, I like the martial arts aspect of it. Well, and a monk, you'd have a trainer who would yeah. be your mentor figure who'd be saying, go do the following. Yes, that I, I like that idea a lot. I have a you know heavy bag in my garage, which has... Mm -hmm been hanging there collecting dust because I too lack the ability. I need somebody to say, you need to go hit the heavy bag for a while. Yeah, hit the heavy bag at this time for this yes. class. And for, you know, it, it, the class is super organized and you're doing this now and this now, and everything is very much set. And that's how I, that's the only way I can exercise. <laughs> yeah, there is a, a, a dojo that does Kung Fu. Would it be a dojo, a gym that okay. does Kung well, Fu? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think there's another word for it, but um, dojo, I think is a Japanese term, but right. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm crossing okay. cr crossing cultural boundaries there, but uh, but yes, the, there is a kung fu place in Salem, and I should go check it out because that would be I think that would be really good for me, not I'm just sure. physically. It would be good for me psychologically. Like it's good mental health. <laughs> well, know, I'm moving I'll this. Pitch. I'll do a pitch for anyone listening in Portland because I know you guys have Portland uh, listeners. Yeah. Um, if you are interested in uh, martial arts, uh, I did Wing Chun for quite a while with Lightning Hand Academy of Wing Chun. Uh, 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 Sifu Ray McDonald, uh, absolutely great, fantastic class. I miss it a lot. So if you're interested in Kung Fu, Wing Chun is awesome. Watch the Ip Man movies. Um, it's just a lot of fun. It's, it's great to learn and it's a great martial art. Yeah, I will, uh, I'll look up the link and uh, put that in the show notes. So if folks are in the greater Portland area, they can, what was the, what was the particular teacher's name? Uh, Ray McDonald. Ray McDonald. Yeah. He was uh, Sifu for a number of years. When I was there, Lightning Hand Academy is a cool name for a school. It is a cool name. I like that a lot. Um, okay, so you are a, uh, a dragonborn monk, right. and you've just been ambushed oh, no. by three level one goblins. Uh, wow. um, sne sneak attack! Mm -hmm. What are you doing? So assuming I'm level two or better, um, first I'm going to try to intimidate them into running away. I'm mean, I'm a big dragonborn. They're they're goblins. It might it might work. Depends on how I roll. Um, if that doesn't work, first I'd uh, use my breath weapon, which is lightning, um, and uh, because what color did I say? Blue, because I'd be a blue dragonborn. So I'd be lightning, and I, so that'd be in a 5 by 30 line, and it would electrocute at least one of them. Not sure it would kill them, but it would certainly hurt. And then assuming at least level 2, I'd use a key point to do flurry of blows uh, to do unarmed attacks on the other two, and then we'd see what happens next. I would think they would scatter. I mean, you know, one of them has just been electrocuted and the others have been pummeled. I think yeah. that's uh, that's that's probably going to do the trick. Uh, yeah. Excellent. Okay, well, I'm going to uh, let's go to uh, break. And when we come back, I'm going to ask you about what you've been daydreaming about lately. This week's show is brought to you by Miko Azul's The Staff of Fire and Bone and its sequel, The Rod of Wind and Iron. In The Staff of Fire and Bone, half-demon Cedrin Varkaris is on the run. He survived among his father's people as an Ascari, sequestered behind the castle walls for his own safety. The Ascari people tolerated his existence until age 15, when his demonic powers manifested. Despite being the son of a powerful regent, the Ascari hate and fear him. The Shaili, his demon mother's people, hunt him as an abomination that must be destroyed. Magic is forbidden in Ascari Bar, and Cedrin's powers are uncontrolled. Death and destruction follow him as he grapples with learning to use his abilities with disastrous results. With no safe haven to hide him and few to trust, Cedrin must overcome a millennium of prejudice to acquire the four sacred elemental stones from the different peoples of Moralia. He needs them to create a talisman that may unify the various peoples of his world against the great demon Laylor, whose banishment nears its end. With little hope of redemption or thwarting Laylor's plans, Cedrin and his companions take heroism to a shocking new level. The choices they make and sacrifices they endure push them further than they ever expected possible, and the fate of all Moralians hangs in the balance. In The Rod of Wind and Iron, the adventure continues with more complicated challenges and higher stakes 
Although Cedron has acquired Ration, the staff of Fire and Bone, he knows it won't be enough to save his world from the ravages it faces. The Garanth army marches against the Ascari, slaughtering everyone in their path and raising fields and towns alike. Meanwhile, an indestructible horde created by dark magic bears down on the Shaley, intent on destroying all life in Moralia. Amidst the chaos and death, Cedron and Senna Kral, the daughter of a notorious spy, become unwilling allies. Senna's goal is to restore her father's reputation and save her city from total annihilation. Cedron's quest is to acquire the Lost Windstone of Yesmarantha, which is essential in creating the only weapon that could potentially challenge the great demon Laylor. Natural enemies, Senna and Cedron devise an uneasy and temporary truce in order to achieve their ends. Betrayal is inevitable. Trust is impossible. Hope and time are running out. Order your copies of The Staff of Fire and Bone and The Rod of Wind and Iron today. Authors, poets, playwrights, as some of you know, we participate in an annual fundraiser for the Alzheimer's Association called The Longest Day. On that day, people around the country and around the world do all kinds of things like walkathons and knitting and mountain climbing, and they ask their friends and families to make donations for their efforts to the Alzheimer's Association to support care for families and research to find a cure for Alzheimer's. I participated in a few walks and then said to myself, Self, you are mediocre at walking and do not have a bunch of awesome friends known for their walking ability, but you can write and know a whole lot of other writers. So back in 2018, Notified Publishing put together our first Writing Against the Darkness team, and we've been going strong ever since. Here's the ask. You can join our team with a few clicks. If you want to, you can buy a t-shirt for the fundraiser, but that's not required. Then you post to your social media a few times, asking your friends and family to pledge to support you. On Wednesday, June 21st, we all hop on a Zoom call together early in the morning to say hello, wish one another luck, and then we write from dawn until dusk, 5.24 a.m. to 9.04 p.m. here at My Latitude. It's a long day, but don't worry, you can take all the breaks you want. In fact, if a Wednesday doesn't fit into your work schedule, you can do your longest day on another day before or after. The Alzheimer's Association won't turn your donations away. At the end of the day, we share out our word count and total them up and see how many words the team has written in a day. And how badly John Dover, author of Once Upon a Fang in the West, has beaten us by every year. It's fun, productive, and raises money for a good cause. If you'd like to participate, there is a link in the show notes. We would love to have you on our team. So come join our Writing Against the Darkness team and write with us for a good cause. Thank you. So I'm back with E.D. Jones. Ethan, what have you been daydreaming about lately? Well, you know, and I... I'm going to get serious again because the issue about LGBTQ and trans trans rights is really on my mind lately. And that's, I mean, if, if you want to ask me about what I'm daydreaming about, I'm daydreaming about the day when we don't have to worry about that. When we don't have to worry about our community being attacked. Um, so the question that I ask is, when did the phrase religious freedom start to mean, I get to tell you what to do with your life? If your religion tells you that my family is icky, then that's your business, but you don't get to make it my business. My religion tells me that my family is made in the image of God, just like all families are. Your religious freedom doesn't get to trump that, pun intended. Yeah, yeah, that is a, it, it is a perverse bit of rhetorical sleight of hand to say yeah. this is about religious freedom when it's- But only mine, imposed. only religious freedom to do it my way. I, I am, I'm reminded of Popper's paradox of tolerance. You know, uh, we, we need to be able to say, I do not need to tolerate your intolerance because right. tolerating intolerance only- ultimately takes away all tolerance and then so, there's you know there's this uh implied dichotomy in a lot of the discourse between christians and the gay community right and there are a lot of gay christians i know right. several <laughs> i know a lot of them and they're fine they're you know they go to affirm open and affirming congregations they're great so you can't have that that dichotomy just pits people against each other yeah. you know you, you can be Christian and be pro-LGBT. You can be Jewish and be pro-LGBT. You can be Buddhist. You can be Muslim. You can be atheist. You can be all of these things. The dichotomy is, it's artificial and it's designed to divide. And I, that needs to stop. And it's exploiting a tension within Christianity. I, I, yeah. I used to be a, a Christian myself. And uh, one of my pastors, who's just one of the people I respect most in the world, the, the particular denominational organization kind of took an anti-LGBTQ stand in terms of, you know, we we love people, but also can't serve in leadership roles. Yeah. And this, you know, het, cis het man went, then I'm out, yeah. which is really 
incredibly brave because it's not a parishioner saying, well, then I won't come sit here. It's somebody saying, I'm going to give up my livelihood. I'm going to, you know, because he was a person of deep faith. And mm. I was, I, I just have so much respect for, for, uh, you know, in fact, it was more than one member of the pastoral team that said we're leaving and they yeah. left their own church. And yeah, I thought, wow, that's, that's really powerful. So yeah, there are absolutely people who are people of faith who are saying, I, you know, I, I'm not only, uh, you know, are gay, but who are, you know, people who are saying, I will not be a member of a church that is going to be discriminatory in this way and finding those affirming churches. And uh, I've been really lucky, and I recognize my own privilege, um, have, having grown up reformed as a reformed Jew, um, I grew up in a, in a bubble of, of kind of liberal acceptance. And my husband and I had the first same-sex commitment ceremony at Temple Israel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I believe we were actually the first same-sex commitment ceremony at a synagogue in the state. That's so, cool. Yeah, that was really cool. And, you know, the story is, it's kind of a cool story. So um, my husband converted and uh, we were, you know, members of our, of my love, this is before we moved to Portland. We're members of Temple Israel. We're, we're now members again. I'm going all over the place with the story. Let me focus it in. <laughs> so one year, I think it was about 2005 or 2006, um, our rabbi gave a sermon um, for one of the high holy days and asked, said something like, I have never been asked the question about whether I would perform a same-sex commitment ceremony. Um, and, and that's basically what he said. Yeah, I've never been asked the question. And so we talked about it. We never had the get down on one knee moment. We just sort of talked it through and said, okay, let's have a commitment ceremony, um, which, was, which was awesome. I mean, I, I, loved, I love that we did it that way. Yeah. But we sat down with the rabbi and said, okay, we're asking the question. Right. Um, and the rabbi said, let me... Let me think it over. Let me talk with the board and see where we're at. And um, the rabbi took a few months and then had a meeting with us and sat back down with us and said, I can't think of a better couple to start this with. And so, and we had a beautiful ceremony and the whole counter, and we had a, a congregation full of people. Everybody was, yeah. was there, but it was a wonderful ceremony. Had no legal basis at the time because um, it was 2007, but it was still, it was very meaningful. And we, we still celebrate that anniversary. We have several anniversaries, of course, because we have, <laughs> we have right. the, Obergefell anniversary. We have the Windsor anniversary. <laughs> yes. And, uh, but you know, that having that in front of our community and that was the temple that I grew up with and I, I had my bar mitzvah there. So it was really That's cool with the rabbi that I grew up with rabbi Sherman, um, who's, um, somebody I respect a lot. He's now retired, but, um, he, he's a, he's a person who I've, I've respected for my whole life. He's always been a real source of, um, source of knowledge and source of wisdom in my life. Yeah. Having him perform my ceremony, uh, our, our our commitment ceremony, was incredibly meaningful. Yeah, and that's and uh, that's that that's that is such a great story. And I, did your husband convert there at the same temple as well, or is that important? Yes. Yeah, yeah he, so that's a neat place for him too. Like you know, make this commitment and then make that 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 yeah. have that be validated, right? I have to make it clear, and he will tell me tell you this. He did not convert for me. He converted for his own reasons, and yeah. he want, well, he would want me to clarify that. Yes, yes, but that, but still, I mean, it is his first synagogue, yeah. right? That's uh, you know, and then to have that synagogue embrace both of you is really yeah. cool. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, that that's that's wonderful i'm kind of overwhelmed i think that's 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 beautiful uh and i feel like oh, i'm now changing gears to you know self-promotion but uh what what has been going on with you uh in terms of your writing that we need to tell folks about well so i'm really um just overjoyed to be in this collection the written with pride collection i really appreciate you selecting my stories um i'm honored to be a part of it i think it's a great i, I haven't read the other stories but i'm sure they're fabulous they're and really good yeah you'll you really enjoy it um, and, you know, so that's really cool. Um, I, you know, I've been, I, I, I've been working on this novel and it's in the hands of some trusted beta readers at the moment. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with it, but, um, it's, <laughs> it's a, uh, yeah, like you said at the beginning in my intro, it's a, a science fantasy horror comedy, uh, <laughs> about a werewolf astronaut who falls in love with a cyborg rock star who then gets abducted by aliens. And, it sounds uh, right up my alley. Like I, <laughs> you know, the, 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 I'm working on the uh, sequel to, to my, this is my first sequel I'm in this trilogy. And uh, one of the segments that becomes 
really kind of pivotal is I have a collection of baby werewolves oh, and cool. they're adorable until they all fall upon you and, you know, and, and rip you to shreds. And, uh, and my fiance was one of my, you know, she's my first reader. She's, she's, you know, my, my, my prime beta reader. And uh, she just loved the baby werewolves. And I was like, good. I mean, that's the whole marketing pitch is like, don't you want to read this book? It's got baby werewolves in it. Like, come on, you know? <laughs> So yeah, it's got werewolves, vampires, and aliens. I mean, how can you go wrong? <laughs> right. Yeah, that's that's great. Yes, you will really like my sequel. I, I but the third in the trilogy's got a very Cthulhu-esque monster, too. So we're cool. moving from vampires and werewolves and golems and trolls and stuff yeah, to and story you know, this has, um, giant HBO monster. <laughs> my, mine also has cosmic horror in it. And yeah. you know, Cthulhu, uh, there's a Shoggoth at one point, there's a star vampire. Um, a lot of my role-playing Call of Cthulhu role-playing game kind of leaked into the novel. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's well, and it's it's funny you mentioned that. Fable uh, Tethros, who's one of the editors of the uh, Written with Pride anthology, they just wrote a piece for our for Notify Publishing's newsletter about using role-playing games as a way to kind of develop characters to learn about world building. Yeah, uh, and, exactly. uh, and you know, they, they they really make a strong case that if you are Playing regularly, you're learning how world building is done in a, in a kind of sequential way. So yeah, hundred percent nailed it. I had the same you know the same thought um, a couple of months ago. I, I I had this kind of revelation that yeah, I'm writing this novel and I, I'm not stuck because I'm using my experience in role playing to uh, kind of play out scenes and right. how how to move the the story forward. So that is yeah, hundred percent correct. I hundred percent am uh, am using my role playing experience in my writing. Yeah. Now, do you DM or do you? I would uh, love to DM, but um, I haven't yet. I I, yeah. I have never DM'd, and I think it's because I'm a writer. I I'm like I would be so frustrated because I would be investing all this time in structuring this game, and then the other players would be doing the wrong thing. Oh, they'd be over there <laughs> yeah. talking to that guy that you didn't you didn't develop at all. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Splitting the party to go, you know, look at something shiny over here. Yeah, my, that, that, that's not my story. Oh wait, this is collaborative storytelling. Like you know, that would be I would I yeah, I love to play, but I think DMing you have to have this kind of magnanimity where you're saying, oh, there's that's where the story's going now. We're going in that direction, and I'm like, the other oh, thing, this isn't my book. You know, yeah, the other thing you have to have as a DM is organization, and that's my real fear is I don't know that I can organize that much, but I do. I have bought all of the DM. Uh, not they're not called DM. The Keeper of Arcane Lore stuff for Call of Cthulhu, and I really do. Want Wanna, I'm going to keep, which is the term for that. I'm going to keep a game one of these days. I've played enough of it that I think I can do it. I think Call of Cthulhu is going to be is easier to um, to DM than uh, than D&D is because you're not dealing with big, complex battles. In fact, in Call of Cthulhu, you want to avoid battles because any of the monsters you encounter will either kill you, drive you insane, or both. And you yeah. really want to run away from them. <laughs> yes, yes. It's, that's not the point. Is uh, yeah. yeah, it's uh, keep maintaining your sanity is the challenge. Yeah. So the um, yeah the real challenge for me again with with DMing is is staying organized, and I haven't quite threaded that needle but i want to one of these days yeah well and, and and you know maybe it'll be helpful to think of it as this is part of my writing practice yeah. i am learning about storytelling through yeah. this uh this activity i think that would be cool the other thing um that i really love with writing and i recommend anyone who's struggling with writing to do there's a contest called new york city midnight and it's a contest that runs every year and they have different contests uh that they run um they just they're in the middle of the short story contest right now. And I got through to the second round of that, but not the third. Um, and the way it works is they give you a prompt. It's um, it's usually a, uh, like a, a genre, a subject and a character and that you have a certain amount of time and a certain number of words to write. And it's really good for focusing the mind. And yeah. I've written both of the stories in Written with Pride were New York City Midnight stories. Um, and the, the ferryman in particular got first place in its heat. The way that it, the judging works is that you're you're put into heats with all the same prompts, and there are about thirty people in each heat. Heat, well, depending on how what the contest is, but on average, I think there are about thirty in each heat. And so, and then the top five from in the short story contest, the top five from each heat advance. Um, there's also a flash fiction contest, which is really cool because you get to write two stories no matter what for that one. You don't have to worry about getting through. Um, and I do that contest every year, and I've written stories for that contest that I would never have written otherwise. Yeah. My story uh, that got into the, the previous anthology is a straight drama. It's actually a very sad story about a, a man who lost his husband to cancer. 
I would never have written that without in yeah. New York City Midnight. Um, and you know, sci-fi, the, the, the two sci-fi stories I have in your in in written with pride, I probably would have written something like that because I love writing sci-fi. And those were the two, the only two times I think that uh New York City Midnight let me write sci-fi. Yeah. So I kind of nailed it. Um, but I've written, you know, drama, horror, suspense, mystery, political satire. I've written all sorts of stuff and really stretched my mind. So New York City Midnight, it costs money, but it's so worth it. You get, um, there's a forum where you can have feedback from your fellow participants, and then you get feedback from the judges after the results are, are, um, are released. And you, you, I've learned a lot. Yeah. Things. That's so really cool. We should, uh, we had talked about doing something like that in, uh, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, uh, you know, creating a forum where people would actually come live and they would be like, you're, you're trapped in this room for, you know, 12 hours or whatever. And mm -hmm. here's your prompt. And it's, you know, this writing uh, collaborative kind of exercise. And I think that would be really fun, but uh, that would be cool. I would yeah. do that. <laughs> Um, and, and same thing you'd end up writing stuff you never would have written otherwise yeah. you know I, I've, exactly. I've had uh, kind of all calls from magazines where I went oh yeah I could try and write to that I've never written that genre before and it ends up being oh and then this magazine didn't pick it up but now I've got this story I'm going to send it right. off to somebody else you know so exactly uh, I just wrote a mystery story for New York City Midnight that was kind of a hard-boiled noirish detective story and it didn't it didn't get me through but I really like the story and so I have it now and, you know, I'll, I'll polish it up and, and, and see if anybody wants, wants it. Yeah. Send <laughs> it know. off to somebody else. Yeah. So that, that does sound like a really, uh, I'll, I'll absolutely check that out. New York city midnight. Yeah. Anybody who wants to challenge yourself as a writer, that is fantastic. I'm wondering if we could figure out a way. So we do this thing that is, uh, and one of our advertisements is about this uh, right now. We do this thing uh, called writing against the darkness. That's a fundraiser for the Alzheimer's association. Right. And I wonder if there would be a way to do, you know, a shared prompt and everybody write against the darkness about this and make it some kind of contest. I wonder if I that would raise that. more yeah. money for the Alzheimer's Association or less. Well, if people know. like the freedom of just being able to do whatever they want. I don't know. It's, it's, it's worth looking into. That's a cool idea. Um, you know, struck. I'm, I'm all about anything that can help um, uh, quiet the chattering monkey mind and yeah. focus my brain on something really i find really helpful that's yeah. that you know, writing anything i i'm probably not going to write anything um you know writing something writing something that i have a structure for i that that really helps i i uh I, in my creative writing classes i talk to students about how especially when i'm teaching about poetry about how forms are really limits are really mm -hmm. helpful in any art and oh, you yeah. know a, a, a painting becomes a painting because we accept that it is two-dimensional made with paint and fits inside this frame right yep. and then within that i say to the students and what can you paint in there mm -hmm. and there's this beat and then somebody goes anything yes yep. that's the point you have infinite power within these limits what are you going to do you know and, and then so the haiku structure is mm -hmm. a bunch of limits what can you write a haiku about Anything, you know, and uh, and and so yeah, you know, getting that prompt that gives you those boundaries and then the freedom within those boundaries to create art, I think, is a a, a wonderful exercise for any of us as artists yeah. to say, okay, I, I know my I know my guardrails. Now, what can I do within that space that is me? You know. Another great example of that is National Novel Writing Month, and yeah. my, the novel that I'm finishing right now, The Werewolf Astronaut, started as a nano. And I wrote a terrible first draft of it, um, but I got through and I wrote the, and then the one that I'm polishing up now is the second draft. So, yeah. you know, it's, I've, I've, and I, I, it's only the second time I've won Nano. I've done Nano a bunch of years and sometimes I just trail off, but Nano, the way that for, for people who don't know the way that Nano works is you have a month to write 50,000 words and it's November and there's a website where you can track your progress, which is fantastic. And so it's about 1700 words. It's, it's another specific number, but it's about 1700 words a day. And you have to do it every day because otherwise you will get behind. And yeah. at the end of the month, you have 50,000 words written and you can do whatever you want with them. But, you know, it's just a great way. It's another great way to force your brain into, into a kind of set of rules and limits that can help your uh, feed your creativity. Yeah, that one's a great one for discipline. Unfortunately, I have, as a teacher, November is very bad for me. Yeah. And so like that's, I've never done nano, but I've done that same kind of, you know, could I do this in a month in the summer, you know, and, yeah. and uh, uh, but uh, I, I, I'm, I'm glad that you acknowledged the first draft was not something to start sending oh, out. Sure. Uh, <laughs> there are a lot of us in the publishing industry. There are a lot of places, uh, a lot of agents and, and 
places that just will not accept uh, submissions in December. And yeah. it's because of nano. That it makes sense. Go, you yeah, know, like, here's my, here's my 50 or 60,000 <laughs> where it's not even long enough yet to uh -huh. be complete. And they send it off to agents and agents are going, this is your first draft. This needs this work nothing. still, yeah. you know? So yeah, and after, when I finally got through Werewolf Astronaut, it ended up at about eighty thousand words, which is a proper 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 novel length. Yeah, so. that's yeah, that's that's a, a a complete novel. And I mean, it's not to say that uh, you know writing that kind of longish novella, very short novel that you write during Nano, isn't an incredible achievement. Like yeah. uh, you know, very few people can write a novel, let alone yeah. write one in a month. I, I have a ton of respect for for Nano folks, but then take the time, please, <laughs> to okay. edit it before you send it off to anyone. 100%. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you've taken how long? So was this last November's? No, no, no. This was, uh, I believe I wrote, wrote uh, Werewolf Astronaut in 2019. It's yeah. been a while. I've been yeah. struggling with but, this thing. I got stuck in the middle for a long time. But the I swampy middle. Yep. Yes, I, I, I could talk process with you all day because I, I, I bet we have stories we could share about the swampy middle. The swampy oh, middle the swampy is dangerous. Middle. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 100%. Um, so each week we have a uh, a poll that we toss up on on Twitter. And last week, uh, yes, Jason Brick uh, asked dim sum or pho, and yeah. the uh, the the winner was pho by by uh, a landslide. Uh, I'm I'm certainly a pho fan, although I discovered recently that my fiance does not like the smell of pho. She was not a fan of me uh, making pho in the house, but uh, uh, so you know, she, I'm sure she would have uh, voted dim sum on that one. I miss um, dim sum. We, we, I don't know that we, we probably have a dim sum. In fact, I think we do have a place in dim in Tulsa for dim sum, but it's not as readily available as it was in Portland. I miss Portland dim sum. We would go all the time. I loved it. Um, but I also I love pho too, and yeah. you know any kind of Asian soup, pho, ramen. My favorite actually is Tom Ka to Thai uh, coconut milk milk soup. Um, oh yes. Especially when I have a cold, I get super spicy Tom Ka, and it just it just clears the sinuses. It clears right everything out. Yes, um, even better than chicken too when you have a cold. <laughs> yeah. So, what's your poll question for this next week? Werewolves or vampires? <clears throat> yes. And do you want to do you want to put a, a a hand on the scale, or do you want to wait and uh, let people? Yeah, I want cause... people to you know. Um, one of the <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> sorry, I got a frog in my throat. One it's of just my... the thought of that soup. Now you're hungry. <laughs> One of the jokes in my novel, I guess, I, I don't know if I should spoil it, but I will. Um, it has to do with vampires and, and werewolves. Um, the, there's an ancient rivalry between werewolves <clears throat> and vampires. Vampires are cold aristocratic goths. Werewolves are scruffy furries. So it's sort of like a class conflict, the uh, blood and the proletariat. So, <laughs> nice. You know, that's like a good, that. it's a good kind of, uh, it's a good question, but werewolves, where do you stand? Yes, you... I when my <laughs> series that I'm writing, the the convention of fiends, is what if all the kinds of monsters in the world got together every year in Las Vegas for a convention to figure oh, out fun. how they're going <laughs> to hide their identity, you know, and, and and continue to feed on humanity. And mm -hmm. so we certainly have the vampires werewolves conflict, and also some vampires and werewolves that work together, and you know all the all the politics there. So uh, yes, it is it is that I I love that one, and we'll have a lot of fun with it. So that that's yeah. a good one for our. Uh, for our poll this week uh and in what's what's in your to read pile what are you looking forward to checking out so i've been struggling to try to read and i want to finish it but it is such a it's a whole thing house of leaves anybody who knows what house of leaves is knows what i'm talking about i have made it about halfway through a couple of times and i i just get confused but i really want to finish reading it because it is a work of art and it's a, it's a novel that if you don't know what it is, the novel itself is a work of art. And it's so, I can't even really do it justice because I haven't read the whole thing, but it's like stories within stories within stories. And it, it um, there, there are notes and footnotes on every page and you're never really sure where to look on the page. Mm. It has all this different stuff on it. And it's just such a fascinatingly different sort of writing. Um, I'm a huge fan of weird fiction. My, my favorite living author is China Mieville. And anything oh, yeah. that fits into the definition of, of weird fiction is, is right up my alley. And House of Leaves is kind of my, my Everest right now is trying to get through that because it's sort of the um, my, kind of my uber weird, weird fiction novel. <laughs> I will have to, I have not read that. So I, and I have heard many people talk about how yeah. intricate and demanding it is. So that's one that I will certainly uh, be looking for. Um, mine is Wild Wings. It's just, you know, 
uh, the light there is not uh, making it visible. But uh, in fact, I'm going to have one of the uh, authors, uh, uh, the illustrator, uh, Brian Parker, is going to be on the show next week. So cool. this is a YA novel and it's middle grade. Uh, and normally I go, ah, middle grade. You know, I like, I love YA, but middle grade, I'm just like, ah, is this going to be, is this going to appeal? And I have heard this is just fantastic for readers of all ages. It's about a young man who, a boy, uh, who um, loses a parent and mm -hmm. his relationship with his parent and his ability to kind of deal with his grieving through his art and through drawing himself superpowers essentially oh, that's cool. and that's so yeah cool. so i am i'm looking forward to checking that one out um it is you know simultaneously supposed to be very inspiring and a tearjerker and uh it sounds really cool uh so wild i'll on I'll, I'll post to both uh, house of leaves and wild wings there in the uh, in the show notes for everybody um so where can folks find you and find out more about your work and keep up on your your work coming out Facebook.com slash right sinister is my author page. Um, again, sinister because I'm left-handed. I'm taking the word sinister back. It's, yes. it's been maligned for too long. Too long. Um, you know, you have people who are dexterous, right? Right-handed, dexterous. Everything is right, right? Correct. Oh, yeah. And everything left is sinister. No, I'm not okay with that. I'm a lefty. I'm going to be sinister. So Facebook.com slash right sinister. That's where I'm posting more than anywhere else. Um, I'm not a religious poster. I post um, when I can. Yeah. Uh, I also have a blog at sinisterblog.com, but I am using that less now because I'm using the Facebook page more, but those are the two places where I have stuff. I am not on Twitter because Elon Musk is terrible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so is uh, 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 what's his face? Zuckerberg. Uh, yeah. Zuckerberg is, you know, full on uh, they're all not great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, he uh, facilitated a genocide in Myanmar. Like the guy is awful, uh, knowingly facilitated a genocide for money. Uh, yeah. so <laughs> they're not great, uh, no. but uh, yeah, the, I, I struggle with that. Where I'm like, I am on Twitter, I am on Facebook, and I know these people are really, really terrible. And I, I have a Twitter know. account still, but it got hacked, and then Twitter wouldn't let me unhack it and then close yeah. it. So somebody is posting from my Twitter account. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, we will <laughs> certainly not direct people there. I, in fact, it's funny that you mentioned that one of our previous guests. If you go to one of the Twitter page, it's one of the Twitter accounts that looks very much like his. It's just ads for porn. In fact, I think it's just the same ad for porn over and over and over because he's been hacked. I almost yeah. tagged that one on uh, on. <laughs> on the show when he was a guest and i was like oh that would have been bad that's you know so yes that 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 happens uh okay so uh before we sign off there's some folks i need to thank uh thank you to the artist max oakland who reached out and provided one of his songs for our intro song the song is i prefer the dusk let max know you like it by following him on twitter at max oakland with three d's and thanks to Halizna CCO for their song Kids for the ad break. If you're in a band and you'd like your song to be used on the show, I would love to highlight a listener's work like Max's song. So email that to me. Uh, thanks to Doug, the producer, for making the show sound good and taking the blame when it doesn't. Uh, this one won't have a ton to edit out, but uh, Doug, we always appreciate all the work that you do to make the show sound good. Um, and I cannot forget to mention Writers Not Writing is a production of Not A Pipe Publishing. So please go to notapipepublishing.com and check out the amazing works written by writers who didn't procrastinate too much. If you like this show, rate and review it wherever you found it. And please check out Ethan's short stories. Ferryman and Bull by the Horns are in Written With Pride. Uh, and you've got, uh, I mentioned the others at the beginning of the show. So please check out Ethan's work, tell friends about it, and then rate and review it really does make a huge difference so click that fifth star uh and and let everybody know that you uh, everyone you know know about ethan's work uh you know say I, I read this fantastic story tell people it really makes a difference uh similarly with this show please click on that like that thumbs up or that uh that love it button on your podcast uh writer it will really uh, help spread the word and just so, a quick, uh, um nota bene if i may um yeah. There is another writer out there named Ethan Jones, who is not me. And I just want to make sure that people know that, that I am not a spy, a writer, an author of spy thrillers or whatever he writes. And that's why I've gone with E.D. Jones as my pen name, because I don't want to be confused with that other writer named Ethan Jones. So just be careful when you're looking me up. Yes. I'm not the other guy. <laughs> yes. And and that other guy must be going, there's this weird horror that's coming out. But, you know, but yes, E.D. Jones. Yeah. So please look up uh, E.D. Jones work. Uh, that that's the Ethan that you want to be reading. Right. 
Um, yeah, there's there's somebody else. There, Benjamin Gorman is a very common name. There's a lot, you know, we're of Irish descent. You know, my my ancestors had like a thousand children, uh, you know, each each generation. So there's tons of Benjamin Gormans, and there's one out there who writes. Uh, books of like like academic political philosophy and it's related enough to what i write that i'm sure there's somebody who's like wow this you know this novelist and poet is also right and i'm like no no he's 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 doing different stuff uh, i haven't read enough of it to know if i would even agree with him but uh yeah. you know we, we share the same name so um yes yeah, so check out uh it's uh, ed jones work um, and that brings us to our sign off. We want to leave you with three bits of advice for this next week. So, Ethan, what's yours? Um, let's see. Uh, my advice, it's not really advice. It's sort of a one liner. Um, it's sort of it's one of my favorite quotes. Um, it's from Neil Gaiman. And he said, fairy tales are more than true, not because they tell us that dragons exist, but because they tell us that dragons can be beaten. And I really like that. I really like that quote. It means it means a lot, you know, it, it's it's hopeful, you know, any of the dragons in your life, any of the dragons in our society, any of the horrible dragons like Ron DeSantis can be beaten. And um, we just have to, we just have to do it. We have to just get out there and, and put, our, put ourselves out there and, and fight the power. And this is why we write. This is why we tell the tales we tell. This is how you defeat the dragons is you yeah. tell the stories, right? You tell yeah. the story and the, the story is not literally true. The story is true in a deeper way, right? Yeah. I totally agree. I love that. Um, second, show about procrastination. I always want to remind everybody in life as in writing, it's the spaces between the words that make it meaningful. A book without spaces would be very hard to read and your life would be a mess if you didn't take some space. So uh, remember the value of those spaces. And third, no matter how much you procrastinate, we're still proud of you. <laughs>